A popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues, as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Okay, well, George, it's uh, such a pleasure to have you on the Sales Transformation Podcast at long last. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. It's great being with you. Yeah. Um, so we're here, here to, to talk to George, um, who's just brought out a, an amazing book, which I've enjoyed reading. But I think before we get stuck into um, sort of talking about the book, but actually hopefully, uh, hopefully on, a, on the broader topic of, of sales, because George has a huge amount of experience in the profession of sales over many years, which I think is, uh, is going to be fascinating to hear. Um, it would be great if we could just start with a little bit of history. Um, George, would you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about you and your, your career, how you got into sales maybe in the first instance, and, and then bring us up to date with what you're doing now? Sure, sure. Um, I, I usually like saying that uh, I have a 30 years work career which is pretty much evenly split in, in three thirds. The first one was in sales sales, where I worked for Motorola, for Alcatel, for Vodafone. Um, and I was in sales. I was, I was a, a sales uh, executive, but it was the mobile handsets that I was selling at that time, not uh, infrastructure. And... Maybe I shouldn't say this, but um, I, I like being transparent. It was years that sales was a lot easier. <laughs> you know, we were at, at that time, we were buying market share. We didn't yeah. have uh, KPIs like EBITDA, which makes things a lot tougher, right? Yeah. The second third was uh, on sales training with Hathweight, the British sales training company that has been selling. Yeah, yeah. And, and the third one was uh, on sales enablement, sales learning and development, and yeah. sales training with Ericsson. Uh, yes, you, you sort of returned a little, a little to the roots uh, in, exactly. in the telecom sector, but uh, I know working for a 
more on the infrastructure side, I guess, with Ericsson than absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But you, you said it, you know, selling was easy. I think you, you're probably pretty smart to choose a particular sector, which is probably going through an enormous amount of growth and uh, and seeing a lot of change and transformation um, in that mobile phone handset business over those years. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I will take this credit. <laughs> you, you know, you know, Phil. When I when I started working right after school, I graduated uh, back in '89. Uh, the first couple of years, I worked in the hotel industry. Okay. And, and actually, I started working with Hilton Hotel, and then I had to serve my military, and then it it, it was '93, '94. And I saw this coming, okay. And uh, and uh, I chose to to. I remember I left the hotel industry to to join. I started with um, a mobile a mobile operator. At that time, it was uh, Stet, and it used to belong to Telecom Italia, Stet Italy. Okay. Um, and today it's called Wind in Greece. Uh, and I worked there. I think it it must be the first time that I changed job, not for more money. I okay. I didn't I didn't join them for more money, but I saw what was coming, and I never regretted. You never regretted. I remember it. You know, um, just going back to the sort of personal experiences of mobile phones, and uh, again, this may be showing my my age a bit. Um, uh, I don't know who manufactured the sort of first. It might have been Motorola. It's a huge, chunky. It's like a brick. Right. Was it the Motorola product? I don't um, know if it was because they had the beautifully elegant uh, sort of flip phones or whatever they were called. Yeah, yeah. I think you're talking about the 5200. It was uh, a bit curved in the back, and, and the SIM card was uh, uh, was of the size of a credit card. <laughs> I don't remember that. Well, all I remember is that this particular phone, it might have predated the ones you're referring to, actually. Um, it had a phone that you could put in your, your suit pocket. Yeah. But it had an antenna that came right. out and it right. used to sort of pop out. At the right. right, right. Yeah. Right. So you try to be this cool kid on the block with the, with the first bit of mobile technology, but I must have looked a bit of a prat, you know, <laughs> with this mobile phone in my pocket, weighing my jacket down because it was so, so heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you could see how this was going to transform uh, business from those early days. And absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've over the years done work with Siemens Mobile when they were making mobile phone handsets and right. in those early days. And of course, I think Nokia was the, you know, the big, brand at the time and they they I think they had about 47 market share 47 percent market share in their heyday they? and um, Siemens then sold out um, to I think it was a Taiwanese company I um, think so too bank yeah, yeah I can't remember the name but they sold out and um, yeah we then sort of got back into the mobile phone area working with Sony mobile and uh, in fact, we we had uh, top global account managers take part in our leading sales transformation masters program. But of course, they then you know transformed their business and uh, and and so on. So we 
and and we're now working, you know, with with Vodafone uh, in quite a major way on the apprenticeship program in the UK. So we've had lots of sort of connections over the years with that telecom right. sector. It's 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 a it's a big it's a it's gone through it, you know, a lot of transformation. So I think your your background is yeah, right. sector is really interesting. I think now that we got uh, in the five G era, I think six G, the Internet of Senses that is coming, uh, right, kind of soon, uh, will make yeah. it even more interesting. Yeah, well, that's great. And so, okay, so now you're at Ericsson, and I believe that could could you tell us a bit more about what your role is at Ericsson? I would say that um, my my role has two key pillars. One of them is uh, to drive to lead globally, set to win. Yeah. Set to win is the Ericsson sales proficiency program that we launched uh, almost three years back. Yeah. And the other is sales delivery, sales training delivery. Okay. And coach. Okay. Cool. Those are the two key pillars. Those are the two pillars. And I would say that recently, Phil, I put more time on uh, the delivery side of things. Okay. We had some some colleagues uh, that are not with us, the, and uh, one of them left the company and has been replaced yet, and, and yeah. another is on a medical leave, so I had to put more time on, okay. on, the, on the training delivery. So this is you yourself delivering the training? Yeah, absolutely. Across the globe for Ericsson. Yeah. Yeah. But what yeah. I what I love about your book, and it comes through very very strongly, and we'll 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 talk about the book in a in a minute, is the sort of stories that you sort of share, um, and uh, and I would imagine that you are a fascinating facilitator, uh, trainer uh, to be part of your program would be um, a great privilege, I would I would guess, given the amount of experience and also the sort of levels of reflection you know, that you show in the way that you write and you you sort of capture stories in a really nice way. Um, so it's very nice to have you here talking about the book. And we've been sort of, I, I guess, slightly aware that this might have been coming because, of course, you've been running blog posts on LinkedIn. And I guess that, you know, a lot of the background, if not all, I don't know, um, to the book comes from the blog posts that you've been doing and you've sort of captured those into your book. You got it absolutely right. This is how it started. I had the blog um, yeah. called the George Stoke Sales. Yeah. Now, every time I was posting, I had uh, very encouraging feedback from friends, business yeah. friends, acquaintance, uh, telling me, George, this has to 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 be a book uh, one day okay. uh, and and it was something that i had in the back of my head uh, for the last um, eight years that uh, i have the blog but, but yeah i didn't want feel to do it on my own really and when uh, the sales institute in greece yeah told me that they were willing to to endorse it Okay. I, I thought I thought that uh, it is the time to 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 go forward with yeah. that idea, and uh, I made it happen. Yeah, well, it it takes a lot, you know. It takes a lot because I, I mean, of course, I've written the book as well, and I I know how hard it is actually to put pen to paper because it's a 
It's a kind of commitment. There's no in go, going back when it's committed to print. And, and so there's, there's all of that sort of soul searching that you go through to make sure that, you know, you obviously want it to be good enough. You want people to enjoy it, to get engaged with it. Yeah. And so I know that it takes a big effort. And uh, no, it's, it, you know, sort of congratulations on pulling it together. Um, so let's, let's perhaps go into some of the detail. So, so it came as a consequence of being sponsored in part, you know, by the Sales Institute in Greece. But, uh, you know, this, could you just talk us through the way you, you decided to structure, you know, the content? Because you, you've broken it down into a number of distinct, I don't know if chapters is the right word. You've got 90 stories that form part of your book, but exactly. they group together in a number of sections. So I wonder if you can just sort of go through the way you yeah the book. Well, I, I will go a little bit back okay. to, cool. to the blog because okay. I named the blog, I had named the blog George Talk Sales, and uh, the idea was to write about sales and negotiations. Hmm? Yeah. But uh, then I realized that I was writing about customer service, so there was another another category that I was added there. Right. And then often I found right writing about uh, uh, leadership, about uh, teamworking, about uh, what we call, uh, what we used to call uh, soft skills and now we call power skills. So I created another yes. name, naming it power skills where I included all those there. Okay. But when we started working with the book for the book with my editor. We tried to 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 see things from the beginning and try to to categorize those stories in a better way. Wow. And and it was the time that uh, the the career and the workplace the work yeah, yeah. was changing big time with uh, COVID was yeah. uh, taking some some good part of it. I realized that a uh, big part of my stories were about learning and development and training, not yeah. always related to, to sales training. Yeah. yeah. So we, uh, we reshuffled things and, and we came up with uh, sales, negotiations, power skills, learning and development, and career and workplace. Right. Um, but but the the target audience for your book, I imagine, are people who are in in sales and sales leadership. Is that how you saw it? Maybe sales enablement as well. I would say that this is the primary target uh, yeah. group. But uh, you read my book, and you probably noticed that uh, I have uh, four or five stories that I make uh, strong references to to scouts. Yeah, yeah, I do. I've noticed you have a very that you know that was interesting seeing seeing your reference to scouts and and what you learn in the scouts you know the scouts camps. I think I went to scouts just for a, a few months uh, because I was living abroad. Often we didn't have the same opportunity you know that you do in the UK you know for for this. So yeah, this obviously had a big impact on you, and it still does, doesn't it? Because you still. Yeah, I don't think I would do the same job if it wasn't the scouts. Wow, yeah. It was the scouts, the first uh, place that I started presenting to a big audience. 
Yeah. I started getting positive feedback. Yeah. I reinforced the, the first the good skills I had demonstrated. Yeah. They made me want to speak in public more and more. And, and what age? What what age are we talking about here? Uh, my youth, uh, my, youth. My, my teens. In your teens, yeah. Yes. And, and later, when, when uh, the, the reason that I got into training, I get it was the scouts, the first place that I started delivering trainings. Not trainings to, to kids, trainings to, to adults. Okay. So you were training scout leaders, were you? Or when you talk about training, is, is, that, is that what you mean? You're sort of... Yes. Okay. So in a way, you sort of recognized this was, this was, well, you may not have recognized at the time, but you saw that training and development was something that you could do. And you, and you learned those kind of skills right from an early age. Wow. Okay. That's a very good point. Absolutely. And now the, the, the tricky, I would say, and an important thing, writing, writing the book or blogging is to to refer to your scout experience or any other yeah, yeah. and on the surface looking irrelevant experience yeah. and 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 write your reflections in a way that they will make sense for professionals yeah. for sales professionals yeah. for, for corporate people and I, I think this is the important thing and hopefully uh, I managed to to yeah. to, to, to get it right. I mean, the, the other thing I've enjoyed about, about the book, and, you know, I think part of this is, you know, the sort of diversity of thought process that feeds into stories that are relevant, you know, for people who are, you know, in, in anything in sales or, or leadership. But actually, I, I've really enjoyed you, you sort of um, the Greekness of your book as well, you know, referring back to some of the great Greek philosophers and also athletes as well. You know, you were naming people uh, that that I wasn't aware of. You know, uh, obviously great athletes, uh, but I'm afraid I've I've missed them. But I've enjoyed that, and I've I, of course I've enjoyed. You're clearly a tennis lover as well. I would say as well as um, an MBA. You know. I can see that you've picked up from these sort of different sources and you're using the sort of stories. Uh, and I particularly enjoyed the um, Kyrgios uh, references because he's, he became a great fan of us in the UK at Wimbledon, you know, with the way he plays tennis. Yeah. A complete maverick. And I, I just love the way you talk about talent and skill. And Isn't it a fascinating field that he makes? Whatever he makes, I mean, he he's not. Uh, he could be number one among the or. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, he definitely. He, whoever, whatever he has uh, uh, succeeded is with no coaching, and you know, and this is something so contradictory because uh, we firmly believe in coaching uh, and we firmly believe in support and and workforce self coaching, yeah. so. Here, this guy comes and tells you, no, my friend, coaching doesn't matter. Now, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty confident. And I, I really believe that he, if he had the right coach, he, 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 would have made a, <laughs> he would have succeeded a lot more things. His achievements would have been greater. But, you know, he's a very interesting man that he puts uh, 
sometimes his joy yes above uh, the achievements and uh, he wants to do things his way yeah yeah and i i think uh, i think part of being comfortable in your own skin in in whichever form that is is part of being your sort of authentic self and it's it's not really an issue of you know if he really wanted to become world number one i you know perhaps he does i don't know but he probably just wants to play tennis as he does exactly and uh and we have to respect that <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it, you know i i i found i watched the kiros sitsipas game at wimbledon i don't know if you watched it but i did watch it it was it was one of the best games of tennis i think i've watched and i love the psychology of the game as much as the game itself and Sitsipas losing his cool. It, it was like a role reversal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. He got in Sitsipas' mind. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Just. <laughs> and it's that underarm serve of his that really gets people annoyed. It's so funny. Yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting because, I, I mean, in sales, I mean, you 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 have the concept of the lone wolf and, you know, the team player and, you know, these various terms that come out of of the challenger sale kind of book and so on. So he's, he's definitely a lone wolf and yeah. in that respect, but uh, you know, it, he's, he's an enormously talented player, but no, I, I really, really enjoyed the, the kind of references you've made. And also, you know, coming back to some of the Greek philosophers, I mean, I, we have the, we have a beautiful pencil drawing of Aristotle in our, in our office done by a young artist. And, and it's, it's, beautifully done fine a fine artist and and i hadn't come across the filters you know you talk about the aristotle three filters and yeah, I, I, Socrates, that's great Socrates, Socrates. oh was that socrates i thought Socrates. he said it aristotle. And actually i think uh i think this is uh, i i would uh, put it among my favorite ones was it socrates uh, yeah yeah, have have a have a have a read. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I've I've read about the three filters anyway. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> I don't. They're still yeah. great. <laughs> I think I think uh, I would put this among my my one of my, your favorites. My yeah, favorite. Okay. Oh, I'm glad. I, at least I picked out one of your favorites. From <laughs> you, did, you did, even though I misquoted. <laughs> but I think this, uh, you know, part of the the art of selling is also very strong connection with storytelling, and it's the way. You say, you know, even involving sort of children's conversations that, that uh, you know, the one sense is when you read the book, it's a, it's a very personal journey that you've taken in some respects. And I think we can all relate to those tough negotiations we have with young children, you know, at a young age. And yeah, just, uh, it's just very nicely sort of woven into now, what I found interesting about the book before we perhaps hone in on specific areas was um, the fact that you can pick up a story and it doesn't take long to read. You know, it's sort of, you can just pick up a story and, and it makes you think. It just makes you think. And that's great. <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, but it's also, you can tell that it's written from a point of someone who knows an awful lot. You know about sales, and that sort of I think comes through 
and fairly humble reflections as well. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you know, thank I'm. You. Thank you very I'm much. Just, I uh, I've just enjoyed your contribution to the the books on sales. It's very different, and it's it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, you've spoken a bit about the structure, um, and um, I think the the listeners are probably getting a sense of the. Uh, diversity of source material that sort of is feeding into whether it's scouts or whether it's personal experience of sales. Now, I picked out quite a number of different sort of chapters, I suppose. I don't know if you call them chapters or, or, or stories that I have found interesting and fun. But I just wonder if, if there's any that you in particular feel, you know, that for you have been stories that have shaped you as a uh, salesperson or um, things that have really stood out that maybe it may be quite difficult for you to answer this question but just interested to know are there any particular things that have happened or stories that you feel made a big impact on you at a personal level um you know um feel the the way i have written these stories is such but it's really hard for me to pick uh, one. Of course, there are some that I particularly like, like the, the Socrates filters and how those apply in sales. Yeah. But, but um, you know, the way I write it is, is uh, when, when, you, when you blog, and I told you that this started, yes. you have to be consistent. Yeah. So for me, that, and that was one of the struggles I had, I had to be consistent, but at the same time, I had to write when there was something that uh, would inspire me. Okay. I wouldn't sit down one day to say, hey, it's uh, the first week of the month and I have to write. Yeah, yeah. I never did that. I would watch uh, some Netflix series like The Designated Survivor. And yeah. after hear a line there that really would blow my mind. And I would stop the TV and I would take a screenshot and 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 then the next morning I would write about it. Yeah. I, I would uh, I would reflect on it. I would uh, watch uh, a sports uh, event that for some reason would uh, trigger something, would make me think, and I would write about it. I would, uh, with some uh, opportunity, remember something that happened to me when uh, uh, one of my stories is about selling encyclopedias uh, when I was 18 years old, before I started. And uh, I would write about it. So, So when you write like that, it's really hard to tell. Uh, where are your favorites? Because yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It's probably an impossible, yeah, yes, a, a impossible thing. Yes, it was interesting your story about encyclopedias because it made me think about um, when I was very young. So I, I went straight from school into banking, and then from banking, I didn't last long in bank. I hated the big corporate machine, and it, it felt too much like public school. Uh, to me, and so I, I, I then moved into sales, and I was, I was lucky enough to 
uh, and I went into insurance and it was a, a, a B, it was a B to C world that I was in to begin with. So it's, mm-hmm. it was a fairly tough sales environment. So similar to your encyclopedia um, experience, but I did have a, I did have the most amazing uh, manager and you had the same. Exactly. Exactly. Your, your coach. And yes, uh, I remember him telling me as a young, young kid at the time, he said that, and he drew a triangle on a bit of paper and he drew the words thought, feeling, will. Thought, feeling, will. And this was after, you know, a couple of weeks of very poor sales, you know, efforts. And he's, you know, and he was beginning to say, you know, you're feeling, you, you know, you're feeling let down, you're feeling as though you're not meeting your targets. And you just said, well, where, where do you, your, your, your feelings come from? And the feelings come from thoughts, he was saying. And then, and then he then moved on to Will. He said, well, where do you think Will fits in? And he was, he was basically arguing the case that, that, you know, do you want to be happy or do you want to be sad? Okay, so you start off there. Um, so he's saying, start off with your will, and that will influence your thoughts, and then that will influence your feelings. You, you know, don't let it get round. And that, and that sort of, you know, these little things stick with you for a long period of time, don't they? <laughs> I mean, this is luck. Huh? Yeah. To have such men in the beginning of uh, yeah, yeah. When you make your first, first, very first, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. It is, yeah. And the same chap that um, shared the triangle with me asked me to do something at a very young age. So I didn't have the scouts training that you had, so I wasn't used to presenting. And he asked me to go in and do a presentation to about 15 potential new recruits into the business because the manager had gone sick and I was the only one kind of around. And I loved the company so much. And I respected him so much. I said, of course, I'd love to do it. And he said, fine, well, this is the sort of way we do it. And I remember giving the presentation. And after about 10 minutes, someone got up and left. And then after about 15 minutes, about two other people just got up and left. And then by the end of it, there was no one left in the room. <laughs> and, and he opened the door and uh, came in. And I, I was mortified. And I, I was in tears, you know, based on on this kind of experience. And uh, he said, look, Phil, this, you know, this is gonna go one of two ways. You're either gonna sink or you're gonna swim. You know, you need to make a decision. And he wasn't at all critical. He wasn't at all. He basically was saying, this is a massive opportunity for you to learn, you know, from this moment. And, uh, and I'd never forget, uh, you know, that moment. And it, you know, there's a lot of talk about psychological safety, you know, as a leader, creating space for people to thrive. And if you have a manager that's good enough. <laughs> Phil, you remind me now, um, the very first corporate professional presentations of mine. Okay. It was, it was 94. I had joined, uh, had just joined the mobile operator that I was talking about before. Yeah. And me and a colleague of mine, we had to travel throughout Greece, gather all the, we used to call them dealers. It was yeah. 
small POSs that were selling uh, mobile telephony. Okay. And it, it was hundreds of them uh, yeah. all over Greece. So who, who would go to one town and would gather the 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 POSs uh, owners and and uh, and sellers from uh, of the area I would uh, meet at a hotel and would have a, a two hour workshop where we would try to kind of train them on what mobile telephony is, how the mobile handset works, show them some new services, maybe share with them a couple of uh, new television ads, uh, TV spots that would come the next week and, and pump them up and, and motivate them yeah. and have lunch or dinner together. You know, I was more or less the setup. So me, that I had the business uh, academic background. I was not an engineer to talk about how the mobile switching center works and the, you know, who, right. who were getting to such details. The idea was to educate them on, on mobile okay. telephony. It was tough. So I studied a lot and I started uh, touring Greece for delivering these presentations. And I remember the first ones were delivered in Athens, a nice hotel downtown. It was late. It was, uh, I think it was before lunchtime. So at that time, the presentations were with uh, either overhead project, project uh, yeah. or with yeah. slide projectors. Okay. And those to show well, the room had to, to be a, a little bit dark. So the, okay. we got the room very dark. Yeah. And I started speaking. And I was speaking, you know, to, to not to lose my thought threads. That, this is me. When I... When I don't really have it, I speak yeah. slowly. Okay. And at that time, that I had it. Now, now it's not as much, but at that time, I was speaking very slowly. Okay. So I tried to. I was trying to articulate well and yeah. speak slowly okay. with room dark. Okay. I tell you what, I didn't get anyone snoring. <laughs> Or, or leaving the room right? because there was lunch afterwards and everybody wanted to network with everyone. So, so they, they, but I, they think, yeah. I think the big motive was the networking and the lunch afterwards. Uh, I don't think everybody could really listen to me for two hours rambling and speaking slowly in the dark room. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but things got better a little by things little. Things got better, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure now it's it you know, it's sort of really honed your your skills and and subject matter. I I love the way you tell your stories. And in fact, it's quite interesting because you also pick up on politics and uh, when you talk about negotiating and Brexit, I mean, it's quite interesting to to hear your views on Theresa May. And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if uh, I had your agreement on the specific topic, but it's no, no, uh, I think it's you so did. Difficult to tell, really. You know, no, 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 no. It's 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 really interesting. I mean. Um, you know, I think it's very good to pick up on topics like this because everyone can identify with it. And now you yeah. you mentioned something. You you make me think of something that maybe I should share with you. Okay. Stories like this one or the negotiation uh, 
of uh, the Greek Prime Minister. Yes, that's right. And you related it back to the Greek. Uh, about uh, Grexit. Yes, exactly. Possible yeah, yeah. to come at, at some point back in 2015. Those stories, when you publish a book in 2022, yeah. um, are a little tricky. Are a little tricky because when you write and when you have a a view of things and you express yeah. opinion, you express the opinion at the given time. At the given time, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's so, a good point. That that was something that, uh, so I had to uh, change the introduction of those stories a little bit, yeah. going uh, on, on a book mode. Yes. And um, I think this is something very important, someone reading the book to understand. And this is why I have the date that the story was written every yes. time. Well, that's, I mean, the, the other thing that I found interesting is, is the dates, you know, that you chart, you're, you know, influenced by the pandemic, by Brexit, by Grexit. Yeah, very important. And, and so on. And, and actually that was interesting because it gives you a chance to see what yeah. your point of view was over a period of time. Yeah. And, and I think that it was like a diary, you know, in a way it's a bit like a, yeah, you know, someone writing a diary about events that happened sometimes very early in your career and sometimes much, much more recent. Uh, and I think that context is interesting. You've charted historical events, you know, and talk about it and, and sporting events, you know, as well. So in that sense, your ability to sort of go back in history as well as, uh, you know, talk about the present, I think, is also um it sort of makes for the richness and diversity of content, you know, as as well. So I, th I think it's, yes, yeah, so actually, I've just written down here, chapter 18, Socrates, triple filter. Uh, but I, I, I didn't have Aristotle, a triple filter down here. So I don't know why I said Aristotle. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but I also like some of your... Um, you know, some of your points of view about what is, in inverted commas, perceived to be good about selling, like sales killer cliches that, that you've got. And, uh, yeah, I mean, another another one, I think we have all can relate to this, is, is, is about getting these unsolicited phone calls from salespeople, even on New Year's Eve, I think you had. You know, someone selling you a phone, you know, just, oh, my goodness, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Actually, that was, um, this is a story written by a good friend of mine and colleague. Oh, okay. And I hosted. And uh, you hosted it. But I, you know, I've, I, I'm staggered at sometimes yes. even getting a call on a Sunday morning yes. from someone wanting to sell something to you. It's just like, you know, awful. Anyway, so, so I think it's, uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it's really interesting. Um. One of the questions I had, it's interesting because you talk about coaching earlier on and you also talk about leadership in your book and you talk about leading self and leading others, you know, as, as two themes. But you didn't mention coaching in there. And I just wondered whether there was, you know, maybe, maybe I missed it, but I, you know, you talked about leadership, but I was interested in, in whether or not you had a point of view about leader as a coach at all. You know, you talk about, you first of all got to lead yourself and then you've got to lead others. But 
Right. And of course, you've taught, I know you know that you feel that coaching is critical, but I just wondered, you know, it, it, you know, perhaps I missed it in the book, but, but I just wondered whether coaching was a, a theme that is sort of part of leadership or, or not, but I, I'm just interested to hear your point of view on it. I absolutely feel I, I believe in coaching very much. Yeah, I'm a coach yeah. myself. Yes, I know you are. <laughs> I, my coaching is focused on sales and yeah. negotiations, which is my expert, yeah, yeah. expertise. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm a coaching believer. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, in one of those stories, I'm talking about, and this is one of the scout references. The scout reference. Because, yeah. because I, I recall the coaching I had from my, um, from your, my patrol leader. Your patrol when, leader. When I, okay. when I was Perhaps 12 I'm years, just... when I was 12 years, 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you're very fortunate. I don't think I had any coaching. Um, you know, I went to boarding school at nine years old. My parents were living abroad, uh, so I didn't have much parental coaching per se. And so, yes, I, I had to learn very quickly, you know, when I was out in the big wide world later. So I, I didn't have that sort of channel that you obviously had. Um, you reference sometimes the APS, you know, the Institute of Professional Sales, and you also make commentary on obviously Huffweight and spin selling. So if you were looking at the state of sales at the moment as a as a profession, what's your what's your point of view? How have you seen it sort of change over the years and and where do you see it going? Something that uh, I have um been upset about all those years is that uh, people still in 2022 can study marketing, can study business administration, and then uh, specialize in marketing or finance. Or, but sales is not really there. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that if we uh, really look uh, into some programs of some universities, we might find some sales relevant programs. But yeah. even though it must be so limited. Yes, it is limited. I mean, I mean, from the research that we've done, um, there are about 110 universities in America now which are offering an undergraduate sales degree. Uh, but when you look outside of America, they're very, you know, there's very little focus on it. I mean, the UK is, is slightly different because of some of the government initiatives that have happened here. When I started in, in America back in the late 80s, um, I, I, I majored in business administration. Okay. And the only sales, um, it, it was some uh, principle in, in sales uh, course offered um, institutes like APS, but uh, sorry, now it's the ISP. ISP, ISP, yeah. ISP today where um, Andy Huff and uh, his team has made yes. some tremendous work. Or the uh, Institute of Sales in Greece. In Greece, yeah. That um, his president, Antonis Potamitis, have done a great work. And I'm sure there are many others that, that uh, I just didn't have the, the, the yes. luxury of collaborating with them. 
they do some great work and they contribute in big. Yeah. For for giving the credibility to to sales professionals that uh, deserve. Yes, it is. I mean, I but at the and the, I mean, I see that education needs to play a, a big role in this because the institutes on their own, you know, are great and they they can set up ethical frameworks for sales and some degree of uh, sort of authentication. Um, but in, until uh, universities fully embrace sales as well, but it, it's a very long-term challenge, this, because faculties need people who are experts in sales to be part of it. And, and many of the faculties in, in business have, have no knowledge of sales and they've got no capability of delivering content and relevant content for people involved in sales. So it's a massive, it's a massive journey, but, um, but I do believe that in spite of all the things that UK is not particularly good at doing, it is setting a new standard. And, you know, it's been, I share with you completely the same point of view about, you know, sales being the forgotten profession in many ways. Um, but yeah, the UK government has sponsored the concept of apprenticeships and apprenticeships are linked to degrees, even postgraduate degrees. And, uh, and I was just looking at now, we, we have a relationship with Middlesex University, as you probably know. I know, and, of course. Yeah, yeah. We have a, well over... 700 students now are completing undergraduate sales yeah. degrees as well as the exec master's program. I think we've got two or 300 people. Okay. I understand you do a great work there with uh, SAP, right? Yeah, SAP is one of our, you know, we, we've now got a lot of big corporates now um, coming through the UK apprenticeship program, like Amazon Web Services are about to have 30 new students starting on the undergraduate course, Microsoft, um, you know, sort of Verizon, uh, just on the tech side, but it's across all, in, all industry sectors. And what's interesting has been the popularity. I think we've got 35 new enterprise accounts last year of people wanting to go on, you know, to have their people come on the program. So that tells you there is a demand, there is a demand out there, but it needs to be much bigger than just what the UK is doing. It needs to be a global phenomena. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to take a while, but I, it's interesting. How many people do you need to start a movement? And then how, how many people do you need to be involved in transformation? And uh, to start a movement, I think you need two people. Yeah, you need someone with an idea and then someone to follow the idea. And it's that, you know, that first follower concept, I just love that. The first follower is, is so important. Um, but to get transformation is a much bigger, you know, McKinsey have said you need 7%, you know, or people in a company to engage on an idea, then you can get transformation. Only 7%. 7%, okay. But in sales, it, if you look at transforming the sales profession that's a lot that's a lot of people so it's working with people like yourself and sort of supporting the notion of professionalizing sales 
as working with the academics. It's, uh, we've actually got six of our master's students are now doing a doctorate in sales. All right. You know, little, little acorns, you know, a tree will come. <laughs> so I'm not, uh, not using this to promote the masters or anything, but I'm just saying that, you know, that you've seen sales change. I, I love your sort of references to spin selling. Of course, you must have very close connections with Huthwaite and so of on. Of course. And sort of that, that, was a, that was a huge part of my career. Yeah. And of course, the work that Neil Rackham did in those very early days was amazing. The proper, proper research. Amazing man. Yeah, he really is. And uh, yes, I think you, you've, you know, you're, your uh, credentials, I think, as someone who's a thought leader on sales is very much there, given your background with Huffweight and, and also your sales experience and now what you're doing at Ericsson, which is great. Well, um, what can I say? I think we're probably reaching towards the end of our podcast session. It's gone on a little bit longer than I thought, but it's been a wonderful conversation. I, I, I loved every minute of it. Uh, oh, George. Thank you very much. <laughs> It's a great pleasure to have, have it on. And we will be making references in the show notes to your book and recommending that, um, that people read should it. read it. Indeed, I have it here, you know, <laughs> by me. And um, we shall definitely be referencing this uh, as recommended reading on our undergraduate sales program as well. So thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so <laughs> much. Yeah. Much appreciated. Okay, thank George. You. Have a great day. And you thank too. You have a great weekend. Yeah, cheerio then. Bye-bye.